Welcome to Slay Church. We are so glad that you're tuning in today and pray that wherever you are, this message will bless you. If this impacts you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. doing tonight Slate Church? We're doing good. You can grab a seat and as you do turn to the person beside you and say you better work it. Don't ask questions. It'll, it'll all make sense later. Well you picked a good day to be in church. I really do think that it was worth it for you to, to come out here today. I don't know what your month has looked like or your week has looked like or even what your morning looked like today. It can get a little bit crazy sometimes. If you're a student, you may have had to have changed some plans of, of studying for your midterms or your finals now. If you're, you're a parent, you may have had to put the, the kids in the car, get the coats on, the boots on, the boots back on when the boots came off and, and get everybody here tonight. But whatever all of that looked like for you, I believe that it was worth it because the presence of God is here tonight and that makes it worth it you know when we're in the presence of God we can experience freedom we can experience chains breaking off of our lives we can leave here better than we were when we came in and I think that that can happen for you tonight and so whatever your your day your month or week has looked like it was worth it for you to get here tonight for those of you who don't know me, as Pastor Luke mentioned, my name is Beth Moore. I am one of the service pastors at our Inn of Waterloo location in Waterloo, alongside my husband, Jared Moore. And I also lead our communications team at Slate Church, our comms collective. They are, yeah, we can applaud for that. <laughs> Uh, they're some of the team that was responsible for the hilarious video that went up there tonight. And honestly, they're some of the most talented and incredible and servant-hearted people that I know. And it's such an honor to be able to lead and, and to work alongside them. But of course, all of that is, is really made possible through the leadership of our legendary four lead pastors that we have right here. So awesome to see you all there. Pastors Brandon and Emma Richardson and Luke and Victoria Betger. And it's really been such a, a cool thing for me and an honor to be able to, to see the call that God has had on their lives and to be able to kind of partner and come alongside that. But to also see the, the ripple effect that the call God has on their lives has had not just outside the, the four walls of this building and in this region, but actually throughout our, our, our nation, our entire country of Canada. You may not know it sitting in this room today at the 4 p.m. service, but there are, there are churches across Canada that are rooting for Slate Church. There are churches across Canada that are looking to Slate Church to see what it looks like to do church in a healthy context, what it looks like to, to lead well and to grow a place where people can come and experience Jesus. And really all of that has come out of these four incredible lead pastors that are right here and so I don't I don't say that to hype up the name of Slate Church or so that you can give yourself a, a pat on the back for making it out here tonight I say that because Jesus is working in our church it's an incredible thing and it's something that I hope that we never get used to that never becomes a, a normal thing for us and I say that so that we remember to honor the leadership that went before us so why don't we show some love to our lead pastors tonight they're the best 
And I'm, I'm also very honored to be able to, to be here tonight and to share some of the things that God has put on my heart for our church right now. And really leaning into this message this past week, I felt like God was going to do something special on this Sunday and special in this service. And so I'd encourage you from the start to just come in with a, a spirit of openness before we move any further. You know, there's, there's something to be said about what it looks like to come to church and to sit in your seat, but to be like really spiritually open, to be even physically open? What does it look like to lean into the message, to lean into what God wants to say, and to, to be ready to take notes and press into what he has for you tonight? I think that, that that person can get a lot more than the person that's kind of sitting back in their chair, they're looking around, they're, they're checking their watch a couple times, wondering when they can go home and watch Disney Plus again, like how long is this going to take? I think God can do, do a lot more through the heart of the first person that's really leaning in and ready for what he wants to do than the second person. And so let's go into this with a, with a spirit of openness, a physical openness, a readiness for what God wants to do here tonight. And as I, I was preparing for this message, I was kind of rereading some of the scriptures that I wanted to share with you tonight and going over some of the thoughts that I had written down. But the reality is that for me, this message is not one that God has really just been writing in the last couple of weeks. He's been writing this message in my life over the course of a few years. And I, I realized this going into this message because I, as I was preparing, I was going through the notes on my phone and my computer. And, and some of the things I had written in there, I had heard and, and felt like God wanted to impart to me years ago, and some of those same things are the things I'm going to be repeating back to you tonight, because they're the things that he's still teaching me, and I think that there's people in this room tonight that need to hear them as well. And so I'm looking forward to, to speaking with you for the next few moments on this thought of work the weight. Turn to the person beside you and say, work the weight. You better work it. If you have your Bible here with you tonight, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. And after that, we're also going to be reading from Genesis 16, verses 1 to 4. Is it okay if we read a little bit more of the Bible tonight? It was a trick question. There's only one answer. <laughs> In the verse that we're starting from tonight, we're, we're hearing a conversation between God and a man named Abram. If you're hearing the name Abram and you're like... I thought that was Abraham. It becomes Abraham, but we start off and his name is Abram. And we're first introduced to him in Genesis 12 when God comes to him and he, he gives him a series of promises. He says he wants him to go out from the country that he's currently in into a land where God will lead him. And he promises to, to make him into a great nation and to make his name great and gives all of these incredible promises to him. And when these promises are first passed on to Abram, he's about 70 years old in Genesis 12. And we're, we're picking up. It's a few years later that we're coming to, and we're going to be reading from Genesis 15, 1 to 6 first. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along on the screen behind me. It says this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. The man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, the stars, if indeed you can count them. 
Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. We're going to jump down to Genesis 16 verses 1 to 4. And this is believed now to have taken five years later. Everybody say five years later. I always want to say that with like the SpongeBob voice, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children five years later, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Five years had gone by, and there was still no answer to that first promise that they had received. And so Sarai and Abram try to get a little bit practical on the promise. They're like, perhaps God missed something here. Perhaps there's something that we can do to, to maybe speed this up a little bit faster. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with her and she conceived. It's about to get messy. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your church. We thank you so much for this house and for the opportunity that we have to come in here tonight and to learn from you. Lord, I pray that none of us would leave this place the same that we came in today, God, but that as we press into your word and what it is that you have to speak to us, and that we would draw closer to you and we would look more like you, God. I pray that I would just be a vessel tonight, Lord. You would speak through me and that you would just allow me to communicate what it is that you have put on my heart as clearly as possible, God. We love you so much and commit this evening to you. And everybody said, amen. amen, amen. Well, something has seemingly taken over our culture in the last two-ish years now, and I honestly cannot remember the last time that I went maybe more than like a week before I had a conversation with a friend where this thing came up, or before I read something about it on social media, or saw a meme about it, or even read in a, a recent pub, recently published book that is now also talking about this phenomenon and this thing. And the thing that I'm talking about is called the Enneagram. Is there anyone here that is, is aware of what the Enneagram is? Let's see by a show of hands. Okay, there's actually quite a few people that have heard of it. If you've never heard of, of what the Enneagram is, essentially it's a, a personality test. It's one of those things that you can take online that's supposed to tell you a little bit more about who you are. And according to this test, there are nine different basic personality types. They'll say that you can maybe have a couple of, of aspects of a, of a few of the different personality types, but everyone would have their one basic type, the version of themselves that they are most like. So I want to do a quick science experiment here tonight. Is there anyone here that knows that they are a one? Okay, we got one. <laughs> one, one. There's anyone that is a, a two? A few twos. Any threes? Any fours? The, the fours are sad because there's more than one four in the room. Any fives? No. Any sixes? The sixes are like, don't make me raise my hand. Any sevens? Yeah. Any eights? Nines? All right, interesting. I also like to think that there's like an Enneagram 10, and the Enneagram 10 is the person that's like, I hate this, I never want to hear about this stupid thing again. Is there any Enneagram 10s in the room based on that? Yeah, I thought so, I thought so. I'm so sorry. 
So I took this test a, a couple of months ago, and when I took the test, it said that the personality type that was most of my basic type was the Enneagram number three. And I was reading this description of, of what the, the three was like and some of the characteristics of a, a person that would fall into this category. And it said things like a, a three is a, a motivated person, a person that's typically quite driven, a person that's, that's pretty focused on advancement in life. And I'm reading these things, and I'm like, okay, I could, I could see some of that. But the more that I'm seeing information about this three personality type come out, the more I'm thinking, that just kind of sounds like a fancy way to say that it's okay for us to be controlling. Like, that's, that's kind of what I'm, I'm picking up from this. But so, so Jared and I, the other day, we're driving in the car. And don't worry, this is not, we're okay. This doesn't come out that much in our marriage. But the other day... We're driving in the car and we're listening to Christmas music as the Moors do in November. It's the best time of year. We're listening to Christmas music and I remember something that had happened when I was younger that I had never actually told Jared about because it's a truly embarrassing story. But I told him about it and he's like, oh, that's so funny. You have to tell people. I was like, I don't want to tell anybody. I just told you for the first time. Why would I tell anybody? He's like, you should tell people in your sermon. And I was like, no. <laughs> But here we are. So this is going to be a bit of a therapy session for a minute here. When I was 11 years old, I was listening to Christmas music as I was in the car with Jared the other day. And as I was listening to Christmas music, I was like, oh, this is the best. I love Christmas. And then I think to myself, you know what? I could do this. You know, like, what, is it, what does it really take to write a song? What, is, what really goes into the creation, the production of an album? Like, I could probably do this in an afternoon if I, like, really put my mind to it. <laughs> and so, I'm not kidding. I, I grab my dad's computer. I go online, and I search for production studios in the area. 11 years old. I'm, I'm living in Hamilton at this time, and so uh, the results of all of these different production studios come up, and I'm looking through them, and I'm like, oh, this one's not so much of a good fit for me right now. This one's looking good. And so I find one, and I go to the website, and I'm like, okay, we could, we could mesh. And so... I call this production studio. I get on the phone with them as a kid, and I'm, I'm on the phone with them, and they're like, okay, like, what's the story? What's going on? I'm like, I'm, I'm going to write and release, and, and I want to record a Christmas album. And he's like, okay, do, do you, like, have any songs prepared? This guy's being way too nice to me, considering I'm, like, an 11-year-old child over the phone, and that's another problem in and of itself. But I'm, I'm telling him I'm interested in this. He's like, so do you have anything ready to go? And I'm like, yeah, I've been working on a few things. <laughs> I decided I was going to do this, like, five minutes prior. I had not started anything. Like, I had nothing in the mix. But I'm like, yeah, I got a, got a few things. And he's like, all right, here's the, here's the deal. Why don't you give me a call back when you've got some stuff ready to go, some stuff we can talk about, and then we can go from there. And I'm like, awesome. So I hang up the phone, and I'm like, this is great. I know what I need to do now. I have to go, and I'm going to work on some stuff. I'm going to call my friend back. We're going to chat a little bit about how things are going, and we're going to keep this process moving. And so I call my friend, and I'm like, hey, you should come over. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a Christmas album today. She's like, all right. And so she asks for permission to come over because we're 11 years old, and that's what you do. But she comes over, and we go down, and we're in the basement. <laughs> we're working on this Christmas album together. And as we're, as we're working on this, we come up with a song. We come up with one song. And I'm not saying it was a good song, but we came up with a song. 
And so we've got this material now, and I get back on the phone with the studio again. And I say, hey, so we've got a song, but we kind of wanted to get some feedback on it before we keep going. You know, like I just wanted to make sure this was on the right track. This is going to be a good fit between us. It's negotiating a little bit. And so the guy's like, all right, let's hear it. And so we sing this song over the phone to the owner of this production studio, this terrible Christmas song. And he's like, okay. He gives us a couple of, of points of feedback, what, what we could do to improve different sections. Like, he was being so, so nice about it. But the next thing he says is, all right, the next thing that you need to do is you need to go back and you need to work on this, but then you need to bring your parents in with you, and then we'll chat about what this is actually going to look like. And I was like, crap, my parents aren't going to let me be a famous Christmas musician. I had to get this done by the end of the day on my own if it was going to happen. And so nothing happened. We dropped it. We probably went outside, went to bargaining or something. In case you didn't know, I'm still not a famous Christmas musician. It didn't happen for me in that day in particular. And listen, I don't know if control comes up in your life in circumstances that bizarre. I, I honestly don't know what that was. And I pray to God that my kids are not that like focused, laser focused on things as I was. But some of us, and I think I would venture to say all of us at some point in our lives have, have had this desire, this thing in our lives, this dream maybe that we've wanted to get to so badly that we've tried to control our situation. We've tried to figure out how to get there a little bit faster. And you know, I've had this thought in my head now for weeks that I, I just can't seem to shake. It's come up in so many conversations. And it's that we're all going through seasons in our life, maybe it's particular seasons or maybe our entire life in general, where we're going from a point A to a point B. And point A, point A is the, the season in your life or the time in your life where you get a dream. Maybe it's a dream from God, a promise over your life, something that is a, a designated end for your future. It's a vision of where you are going, and it provides a sense of purpose and calling for your life. That is the point A that you start out in. But then all the way down the line, we have our point B. And our point B is the actual fulfillment of that promise. It's the, the season that we walk into where the dream is actually coming to pass, where we're seeing these promises or these things that we know God wanted for us actually happening and we're enjoying it. And it's an incredible thing. And I don't know what point B looks like in your, your season of life right now. Maybe point B for you right now is, is graduation day. And you got point A and God told you, I want you to go to Laurier. I want you to go to Waterloo. I want you to go to Conestoga and get that degree. And point B for you is actually going to be crossing the stage and, and finishing that degree that feels like it's taking forever. Or maybe point B for you is a, a career that you really want to get into and feel that God has, has really graced you for. Or maybe point B for you is, is marriage and you're just, you can't wait until that season where you get to share life with someone and be married and experience all these things. Or maybe point B for you is a baby and you've been praying for years about having a baby and when is this going to happen, God? And I just want to get to this, this point B. I believe that you have it for me. And we have this point A and this point B in our lives. 
But the reality is that point A and point B, they're just two stops on the journey. They're just the two destinations of the journey. And most of our life actually takes place between point A and point B. It's the distance between point A and point B and, and navigating the tension of where we believe God wants us to go with our lives and not actually knowing how to get there. Being in the waiting season, not really knowing what it's going to take to get to the end, to the end goal. And I think there's a lot of people in this room tonight that would say that they're in a waiting season, whether it's waiting to graduate, waiting to get married, waiting for a promotion, waiting for um, a new career, waiting for a new job, waiting for a marriage to be healed, waiting for healing in general physically. And I think some people have given up on the dreams that God has planted in their hearts because they don't know how to get there. They just don't know what it's going to look like. And God gave Abram a lot of promises. He said, go out to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great. Your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And you, all the families of the earth, will be blessed. But five years, as we talked about, goes between Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. And Abraham is already questioning if God is going to make this happen. He says, what can you give me since I remain childless? And God says, a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. But God comes back to remind Abraham at 75 years old that he will be his promise, or he will fulfill his promise. And then another 10 years goes by. And now Abraham is 85 years old and still nothing. And this is when Abram and Sarai start to take things into their own hands, as we so often do. And instead of holding on to the promises that they know God have, has made to them and his timing, they try to control and engineer their way to point B. And this is when Sarai volunteers her slave to sleep with her husband to speed up God's plan. But we know that that was never given us the pathway. That's the part that we don't actually get. And like Abraham, we find ourselves in the waiting and we're caught between point A and point B. We're not sure how to get to the other side. And it's our own fear and our own belief that is driving this control. It's because we don't really believe sometimes that God is going to make good on his promise. But how we choose to handle that season between point A and point B is up to us. Because God will always make good on his promise. God never takes those things back. He's never changing. His word to us is never changing. His promises to us are never failing. And so it's really our end that we have the opportunity to make a change in. It's our end that we have the opportunity to say, I'm going to make a decision to handle this in-between season, this waiting season a little bit differently. And tonight I want to talk about how we can experience peace between the A to the B. Because I believe that it's possible I believe that we can actually work the waiting season even when it doesn't feel like it makes sense. We feel like God has forgotten us. We're starting to get a little bit disillusioned with the dreams that he's placed in our hearts. And I have three God truths that I believe that he's laid on my heart because he knew that I needed to hear them. And I think that there's some people in the room tonight that need to hear them as well. And the first thing is this. God comes first.
Ever since I was a little girl, I knew that I always wanted to be married someday. I didn't know what that was going to look like for my life. I didn't know when that season would come or who it would be to. But I always believed that it was something that God had for me. And so I didn't feel like I needed to strive for it. I felt like I could kind of relax in that and just trust in that promise. And so that kind of impacted the way that I, I tried to date before meeting the person I actually married. And I didn't do this perfectly all of the time, but I tried to date through this lens of what are the godly characteristics and what are the types of things that I would want to have in a person that I, I believe I will be married to forever someday. And I didn't know who this person was, but then eventually one day I did, and I, I met my now husband, Jared. And in the early season of our, our dating relationship, we fell hard and fast. And I wouldn't recommend this to anyone, but we were having conversations three weeks in that you should not be having conversations about three weeks in. You can relax a little bit. You can chill out. But we were in this, this early season of our relationship, and I, I believed that God did want me to get married someday, and, and both of us had people speaking into our relationship, which is an important thing, that were telling us that this looks like it's a good thing. This looks like you guys are a good fit, and we felt the peace in that in our dating relationship, and so we're in point A, and we know that point B is over there, and we both want to get to it a little too early. And we know that we have this waiting season that's going to happen before we get to the marriage season. And in that waiting season, I may be more for a female than for a male, it can, it can get a little bit crazy. <laughs> you can get a little bit crazy with the, the wedding thing and the conversations about engagement and, and all of these different types of things. And I remember being in that waiting season, knowing that one day that would come down the line, but it wasn't right now. We needed, to, we needed to finish school in the present. We needed to focus on the things that we knew God had for us to focus on in that time and that the, the, the marriage and engagement would come later. But in that season of, of point A, I spent so much time on Pinterest and, and talking to friends about weddings and watching Say Yes to the Dress and, and doing all of these things that didn't line up with the season that I was actually in. And I had started to turn this idea of marriage and, and weddings and engagement into an idol in my life. I had started to worship this dream that I believe God had planted in my heart because I wanted it to come so desperately and I just couldn't wait until that day would come. But we always need to remember what came first. God is the source of our dreams. God came before your dream. And so why are we worshiping the dream? Why are we worshiping this thing that isn't going to actually give us the satisfaction that we're looking for? You know, some of us are so focused on the promises from God that we've lost sight of God himself. We've put our trust in the promise instead of putting our trust in God. And we find ourselves thinking, I'm, I'm right here right now, but once I get to point B, then I'm going to be happy. Once I get to point B, then I'm actually going to be satisfied. That's where I'm going to have the things that I'm looking for in my life. That's when I'm finally going to feel like I'm going to be able to, to relax. But we know that this isn't true because all of us have experienced what it's like to be so focused on something and, and to desire something so much and to get that thing and then to be happy for it, happy with it for a minute, but then to look to the next thing, right? We're always looking to, to the next thing and we realize that these things that we've been holding on to aren't actually able to give us the fulfillment that we're looking for. And looking at this situation, I can't help but contrast the life 
of David in scripture to the life of Abraham when it comes to understanding the source of, of where your dream came from in the first place. For David, he, he got his dream from God at a very young age. He got the vision for his life that he would become king very early on in the situation. And David, along the way, between his point A and his point B, he had a lot of opportunities where he easily could have engineered his way into becoming king a little bit sooner. He had lots of opportunities where he could have stepped into that position by killing King Saul or doing whatever else to actually get himself into that position. And it's easy to think, God does want this for me. God did tell me that I was going to become king, so why does it matter if that's now or later? Why does it matter if I wait on that? I could just make this happen for myself now. But David knew that it wasn't his appointed time. He knew that it wasn't his season to get to point B. He knew that there was an in-between time that he needed to do well. And so in that in-between season, David chased after God. He didn't chase after the dream. He knew that the dream came from God, and if he chased after God, the dream would come. And it was different for Abraham. It was different for Abraham because he had this dream, but instead of chasing after God, he chased after the dream. He tried to engineer his way there to make it happen for himself sooner. But when we control our situations, it leaves us disappointed. It leaves us doubtful and bitter, and it can even leave us unbelieving. And when we try to take things into our own hands, like Abram and Sarai did, we can get ourselves into situations that God can redeem, but it doesn't mean that he's going to rescue us from the consequences. They tried to engineer themselves into a certain situation, and although God still did redeem it, they still had to feel the hurt of that. His, his wife still had to feel the hurt of him sleeping with another woman. Their son still went off with the woman, this slave girl in the future, and Abraham had to feel the weight of that as well. It's when we keep our eyes on God that our path stays straight in the waiting. And this is why your attention in the waiting season is critical. Matthew 6, 21 says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But your treasure is not just your time and your money. Your, one of your, your resources that is limited is your attention. And it directs your path. It directs the, the vision for your life and where you're going to go. And it's no wonder you can't get the dream out of your head if it's consuming your thoughts. You know, for me in that season of dating, all I could think about was weddings and engagement and this next season of my life. But my, my attention was focused on that thing instead of on God. And when you can keep your attention on God in the waiting, your path will stay straight. A key indication that you need to refocus your attention and, and refocus your worship in this season is if when you think about the dreams or the future and the promise that God has for your life, you're feeling a sense of worry. You're feeling a sense of stress or anxiety or fear or even striving to get there. If you're feeling that way, it's a key indication that you need to redirect your attention back on God. It's your relationship with him that will sustain you in the waiting. The second point is this. God's way is better than our way. You know, this seems pretty obvious, but we don't always live this way. God is, is really good at being God, and we are not, and we are not designed to, to fill that role in our own lives. And when it comes to the way that we think things should go in our lives, we all have our personal expectations. And our personal expectations are, are things that shape the way that we think should go in our lives, the, things that, uh, the way that things should work in our lives. 
But our scope and our ability to, to form these expectations is extremely limited. And that's because we're not all knowing as individuals and we're not supposed to be because that's what faith is about. It's not about knowing all the time. I love how Max, Max Licato puts it when he says, when we can't see God's hand, we should always remember to trust his heart. In Genesis 16, God tells Abraham that he will inherit the promise, or he will inherit the land. And Abraham asks, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? And when we read that, it's like, well, because God told you. But then we find ourselves in the same situations of, of God, how can I know? How can I know that this is something that you have for me? And we're not always going to know the details of, of what God is doing in our lives. We're not always going to have the calendar date where we're going to get the answer we're looking for. We're not always going to be texted the directions so we can plug them into maps and we can take the fastest route and turn at this point and not turn at this point. We're not going to get these types of details. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Sometimes I think we can get upset with God because we expected something that he never actually promised. You know, God didn't promise he would take the Israelites into the promised land in 48 hours. He didn't promise when he told Noah to build the ark that the rain would come within the week. But in both of these circumstances, it was a little by little. The, it, the Israelites were led into the promised land little by little. Noah continued to build the ark little by little and faithfully. Hebrews 11 verse 9 says that Abraham at first went out by faith to live in the land that he was promised, not knowing where he was going. And so Abraham didn't always get this wrong. There was a time that he believed that God would make good on the promise, even though he couldn't see the full picture that God could see. And God's way of doing things isn't always going to match our expectations because he often wants to exceed our expectations. And that's why we need to trust his heart, even though we can't always see his hand. If you haven't seen the thousand photos that I've posted on Instagram in the last three weeks, you wouldn't know that we just got a puppy three weeks ago, and he's been the absolute best thing. He's so much fun for us to have. His name is Max. I think we have a photo of him that we can throw up on the screen. <laughs> That's Max, a very stretched out version of Max, but nonetheless, he's still cute. Max is, is currently weighing in at two pounds. He's a, and he's much braver than any two pound animal should be. And, Puppy training has been interesting, to say the least, over the last few weeks. We've been having a lot of fun with it, but one of the things that's been interesting recently is teaching Max how to walk outside. Max is, is doing pretty well with walking outside, but one of the things that he's not so great at is, is understanding where we live when we come back to the place that we're, we're trying to go. So the way that our, our building works is we have a, a building and there's three staircases that go up to a series of different front doors for the, the different units of the condos. And while we're, we're walking Max back to our property, Max always stops at the first staircase. And he looks up and he's like, I recognize this staircase. I live here. And then he'll proceed to, to sprint into it and face plant into the side of the cement because he's like four inches tall and can't actually get up on his own. But when I'm knocking Max, he's, he's so sure that this is the way that he's supposed to go. And I'm standing with him at probably like five, seven and a half. 
and he's, he's on the leash, and I'm like, Max, it's only a couple more steps until we get to the house. This is not where you want to go. I can clearly see that this is where you actually want to go, so if you would stop pulling on the leash and just follow me for a couple more steps, I could take you to the doorway that's actually ours. And, you know, I feel like this is what our, our perspective is sometimes with God as well. We don't have the perspective that God has, and his direction isn't always going to make sense to us, just like it doesn't make sense to Max. You know, we can think, God, there's an open doorway right here. This looks perfectly fine. This looks great. I would, I would love to walk through this doorway that is, that is right here. I'm, I'm tired of walking. I want to go in through the one that I can actually see. But God is a couple steps ahead of us, and he has a much bigger perspective than we do. And he's thinking, I can see the path that I actually have for you, and we're so close to the thing that I know is actually going to be the right plan for your life. If you would just walk with me a little bit further, if you would just come behind me a little bit further, I can lead you to the doorway with, for the perfect plan of your life. I can walk you through the place that you actually want to get to because I have a bigger perspective than you do. And this is not always going to feel good. When Max thinks that we're at the doorway and I'm pulling him along, I'm sure all of his two-pound body hates me and he, he doesn't want to keep walking. He wants to go in through the doorway that he can see. But God never promised that following him through the waiting would be easy for us. He does promise us, however, that his plans are the best plans. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's in between the waiting season that God is preparing us for what's ahead. And if you're in the room today and you're facing a roadblock or a challenge when it comes to the dream that you feel God has placed in your life, know that God is with you. I would encourage you to stay at your post, to just keep on walking and following him because he will bring you through it. Turn to the person beside you and say, work the way. Work the way. My third and my final point today as we learn to work our weight is this. God is never late. Habakkuk 2 verse 3 says, but these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. You know, God is, is never late, but God's not afraid of making you wait. Waiting is an active way that we let God be God in our lives. And seasons of waiting remind us that God is God over our lives, and we are in a position to, to trust him, a position to rely on him. And what often can feel like a life or death situation for us is not really a life or death situation for God. I, I can't help but think of the story of Mary and Martha where they were in really a life or death situation in their position. And their brother Lazarus was sick and Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus and they sent for Jesus and said, we need your help. He's sick. We need you to come and heal him. But what did Jesus do? He waited. Because Jesus knew that he was going to bring Lazarus back. He had a full picture of the situation that Mary, Mary and Martha didn't. And it was a lesson for them in trusting God's timing that couldn't have been replicated in any other scenario. It's in this waiting season that we find the ability to have faith in our dependence on him. Our faith is, is useless unless it's stretched. It's in between the point A and the B that we learn what it looks like 
to rely on God. And you know, the, that period of tension is uncomfortable, but it's not without purpose. And a rubber band that's being stretched is, is operating at a minimum, but it has more in it than that, and so do we. God doesn't want us to operate with our faith at a minimum. And many of us are in waiting seasons because there's opportunities for God to teach us new lessons, how to rely on him, how to trust on him, how to lean on him and stay faithful in the waiting. His promises will come to pass at his appointed time. The other day we were having cup, uh, dinner with a couple of friends and we were talking about whether or not if we could go back to the season where we were teenagers, if we would actually choose to do that. And the scenario was that you would go back and you would, you would do this season of life again, but you would get a million dollars at the end of it. But the catch is that if you were to go back and do it all again, you wouldn't be able to bring back any of the wisdom that you had gained over the last few years. And so we're all kind of hypothesizing and talking about what we would do in this situation as you do over a great dinner. But I loved what our one friend said. I loved his response to what he would do in this situation over dinner. He said, you know, in those, those seasons of, of being a teenager, I remember learning and, and wrestling with God in so many different situations of figuring out what it looked like to rely on him and to lean on him for, for everything, really. And if I went back, I, I, I wouldn't have had that wisdom. I wouldn't have taken those lessons with me. He said, that would be worth the million dollars to me, that waiting season. And, you know... I was thinking, if you were in that waiting season, I'm sure you wouldn't see value in it in the same way that you do now. If you were back in that waiting season and someone reached out a hand and said, I could pull you out right now if you want to, we would be like, yes, please, take me out of it now. But in retrospect, looking back, he could see the importance of the wait. He could see the importance of the lessons that God was teaching him in that season because it was between the A and the B that he learned who God was. It's in the pressing that God makes new wine out of our lives. It's in the dark places, the lonely places, the, the tiring places, the waiting places where we're wondering where he is that we realize who we are not and who he is. We recognize that we can't do this on our own. And I do believe that there's peace available to you in this waiting season. It comes through a person, and his name is Jesus. This season doesn't need to be wasted. It can be worked. We can work our weight. And the, in the journey between point A and point B, if we can remember that God came first, God's way is better than our way, and that God is never late, I believe we can find peace. Let's stand together today. Thank you for watching. Again, if you were impacted by this message in any way, send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. You can also visit slatechurch.com and fill out one of our online connect cards. We would love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. As well, you can stay connected with us by following us at Slate Church on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.